0: How long you been working on that honestly how long has he been working nine on months? this nine months <laughs> are we halfway yet yeah, yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's optimistic all right everybody all together three words to paul and stephanie one two three finish the project all right that's all we'll we'll, we'll quick out of those so others of you have projects that we have going on and for any variety of reason they're not finished or like paul and stephanie you have Yeah, kind of optimism, kind of, yeah, yeah, I guess we're over halfway done. Um, But sometimes those kind of projects, my guess is Stephanie could probably say this as well as Paul, as well as Alan and Andy and anybody else who raised their hands, sometimes it can be frustrating because you start out with something that you think is going to take you this much time, and Murphy's law of home improvement projects is it will always take that times about 10 plus about 20, because there's always things you don't know, and finishing is really hard to do sometimes. And sometimes you're okay with it not being finished, but then you're not okay with it. Sometimes you get frustrated because it takes more than what you thought. But finishing, completing, and my guess is when uh, Alan and Angie or Paul and Stephanie envisioned this, envisioned this pro- project, they saw what the finished product, you probably see what the finished product looks like. It's just not there yet. You see it. He had this vision for it, but getting it finished is a little more of a challenge. Now, let me step back for a second. I want you to think about your soul as a project. Not that God's like a project manager or anything, but one of the greatest frustrations I think many of us have, and I know I have, is that sometimes I just want to yell to God about me, will you finish the project? because sometimes i feel like i'm halfway finished, three quarters finished, and then you s- then you feel like maybe i'm maybe i'm 20% or maybe you're like yeah, i think i'm doing okay. and you're wondering if you're ever going to be a finished product. because you, if you're like me, you often see the evidences of unfinished soul. whether it's relational issues, anxiety issues, whatever issues They become the data that you read of your own soul and you realize, I don't think my soul is yet to the place where I think God intended to be. And it's sure not where Jesus talked about it, because Jesus talked about having peace and abundance and joy, like that was the norm. But you look at your life, I look at my life, and peace and abundance and joy and forgiveness seems to be the exception and not the norm. And we walk around as unfinished sometimes painfully unfinished projects. Unfinished souls, unfinished people. So we're, what we're going to look at today is uh, what Paul has to say about that. We've been doing a series called Living a Life of Ab- Abnormal Joy. just started a few weeks ago, the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians, go to the next slide, Philippians. Uh, the whole challenge is how do we take Philippians, which was written in 62 A.D., Paul wrote this as a letter to the church, the Christians in the city of Philippi. Um, I think I mentioned before that's actually a copy of a manuscript that was it's the oldest manuscript that we have of the book of Philippians. It's from 200 A.D. But the question is, how do we take what was said then? When, because we believe what the Holy Spirit did was inspired Paul to write this. And then what was said to Paul to them then is also accurate and true to us now. So how does Philippians walk down Kirkwood? How does Paul walk down? How does that work? How do we think about that? So here's Philippi's... Ooh. I don't know if I'm... Okay, there we go. Here's Philippi, ancient Greece. um, The letters in the New Testament, so you have a number of them, but like Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, those were all written to cities, churches in those cities. Church of Rome, Church of Philippi, Church of... Colossae, Church of Thessalonica. So those are all letters that Paul wrote, not all not all of the New Testament, but that part, a large part of them are letters that Paul wrote. This one is to ch- Christians in Philippi. And he writes, he'd been there before, he had friendships there. So this is the opening part of the chapter. We dealt with the first few verses last week, so let's just jump in right now. I'm going to look at, uh, starting with verse 3 of chapter 1, and I just want to read through. I think I'm kind of popping in and out, aren't I? Should I use the handheld mic, Jason? i use a handheld mic though i always feel like one of those i'm stereotyping those those tv preachers they always use handheld mics because they're always you know what i mean i'm just that's just me that's my stereotype It's like why don't they use a you know head mic and but there's something about sometimes a tv preacher culture that they always they're doing that so if my hair gets poofy you'll know why just kidding (laughs) okay so this is philippians chapter one uh this is again paul's writing In this case, to good friends of his that were also part of the church in Philippi. So I'll read this. Every time I think of you, the first couple of verses are just greeting now in verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. So Paul's kind of warmly telling these friends, I I pray for you, I think about you, I pray for you with joy. Remember I told you, I mentioned last week that this letter is often called the letter of joy. Paul uses that word 16 plus times. And what's unique about it, I think, is that Paul wrote this letter in prison, which you can kind of think dungeon, that was prison in those days. So here's Paul writing a joyful letter. Verse 6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally What's that word? Read out loud with me. Finished. On the day when Christ Jesus returns. On the day when it's finally finished. So the focus on this slide is the whole idea of, you know, God will finish. And Paul has this confidence that God will finish. So the word, some other versions took translate that word complete. God will complete in you. He will finish in you. And the whole idea is, You may feel like God has stopped the project, or you may feel like God has forgotten the project. You may feel like God has uh, suspended the project, or maybe you feel like God's walked away from the project because you think you may disgust God. In this case, the Philippians had a number of issues. There was was opposition, there was persecution, so they were likely to be thinking God may have forgotten us. There was some infighting, so they may have just not even been thinking about God working in their lives. But Paul with incredible certainty, you know, he says, I'm certain of this, that God is going to finish what he started in you. He's going to finish. Now, let's let's ask this question, though. What are we supposed to look like when we're a finished product? Because that really is kind of the question. Because in the ancient world, the ancient Greeks, the time when Paul was writing, there were some in the time of Aristotle and Plato, which was earlier than when Paul wrote... There were some of those days that thought the finished product meant you were content. That was what the goal of life is, to be a content person. Uh, Another ancient philosopher thought the goal of life was to be a contemplative person. So if you can learn to be contemplative, you will be a finished, completed, done human being, ultimate maturity. Some thought their goal was to be happy. You know, the goal is to be a happy person, and once you're happy, whatever that may mean, then you are completed. One philosopher, I think it might have been, this might have been Plato, I said the goal was moral character, ethical behavior. In other words, right behavior. So what is the goal? What's, what are we supposed to be? What, what, how do we know if we're even being finished, and what does that look like when we're finished? And let's not assume that we all know the answer really clearly because even as Christians, we have sometimes false notions because to some degree, let's be honest, some of us grew up in churches, myself included, where the idea of a finished product was somebody who behaved correctly, didn't do certain things. I was telling someone the other night that my the church I grew up in We did not go to the prom because that was a sinful thing to do. So a finished person is mature enough not to dance because dancing is too sensual or whatever else. So I grew up in an environment at times where finished meant I am doing all the right things and avoiding all the wrong things. That is not biblical Christianity. God's desire is not to finish us into being behavioral perfectionist people. That's what the Pharisees did. That's called legalism. Now, are there are certain moral actions and behaviors that God asks of us, yeah, but it, it always comes from a deep part in our hearts. It doesn't come from just learning how to mimic things. So what does it mean to be a finished product? How do we know when we're finished? And how do we then, if that's the goal, if that's the, what I would call the bullseye, how do we know if we're even making progress or say it the right way, if God's doing anything. Because sometimes our frustration is, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and I can't seem to change this part of my character, change this part of my soul. I can't seem to change this habit, change this anxiety, change this addiction, change this pattern of how I relate to my husband, wife, mom, dad, son, or daughter. I can't seem to change those things. And if I'm honest, I don't always like who I am. So what is it? What's he finishing? So let's go on. Let's go on. And we'll talk about what Paul's confident of. This is Paul again writing. So it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Now just on this one alone here, sometimes the Apostle Paul who wrote these often gets a bad rap for being this harsh kind of uh, truth. This is all that matters is truth and doctrine. And, but you read this and you get the sense of he had really warm affection toward these people. He had a real love for them and he wanted them to see how much, not only he loved them, but how much his love for them was even translating his prayers for them that, that they would be confident of the completing work of God in their lives. So let's finish the phrase here. Can I suggest from this passage that the, the finished goal is exactly what Paul is praying for them? And he says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And here's the, the finished goal is you living a life of overflowing love. Now let's make sure we define love here because love is not a feeling so much as an activity for the good of another. Affection is more of a feeling. I may have affection for someone, um, I suppose it's possible to, uh, there's times I suppose it is possible in marriage where I might love my wife, but I may not have affection for her. Or vice versa, I don't know. But this when Paul's talking about the, your love will overflow, in the Bible, love is, is an activity you do for the well-being of another. So love is not primarily a feeling. It's an action that comes from somewhere deep inside of you. But Paul's saying, the goal, what I'm praying for, is that you will excel in love. One of the things we talk about at Exodus, we've talked about this lately, is our our vision as a church is to be a catalyst for turning ordinary people into abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous followers of Jesus. So let's talk about what it means to be abnormally loving. Because Paul says, I want love to overflow more and more. Think for a second right now, what would all of your relationships be like if you were love, if you had love overflowing from you? What would your relationship, how would they change? How would your marriage change if you had love overflowing more and more from you? Poured into you by God, accessible to others. How would your friendships change? How would your friendships change to those people that you have a hard time with right now? Because if there's love overflowing, there's no room for an unforgiveness. There's no room for even silent, unspoken contempt and judgment. There's no room for revenge or envy, even the silent and spoken revenge and en- envy that we don't want to acknowledge. There's no room for you having even condemning negative thoughts toward the driver that cuts you off in traffic. Because if you have love overflowing, you even love that person. And I'm not talking love like this blind kind of I love everybody. It's a it's from the deepest part of your heart. You're the kind of person that cannot do anything but act on the well for the well-being of other people. You're full of forgiveness. It's a natural reaction. You're full of mercy when someone hurts you. It's a natural reaction. You're full of goodness toward other people. And Paul even kind of outlines that even further in this passage when he says no you're blameless There's no double motives going on there, but you're full of of that kind of relationship toward people. What would that be like for you? I I would guess right now if all of us went back seven days, and if that doesn't do it for you, go back 14 or 21, and if you really analyzed your days and your relationships with people you know, people you even don't know, people you don't like, whatever relationships you have, and my guess is you could come with some pretty quick data of times where you didn't love well. None of us are getting A pluses in loving others well. Maybe not even A's. Maybe not even B's sometimes. Some of my days I'm probably good if I'm a C plus. With, what does that mean anyway? I'm, I'm an average person loving that people. But let's be honest. You think about your week this last week. I, kind of, I responded to one of my kids this week out of a heart that was not flowing out of love. And I do that more than I wish to I do. I, I respond internally and sometimes externally to my wife sometimes out of a heart that's not overflowing with love. It's flowing with other stuff, but it's sure not love. I respond to people I know, people I don't know, on the streets and the stores or whatever, and I, I know that I'm not thinking the best of them, especially when they have 20 items in the 15-item line at Kroger. I don't think what's best for them. I think how they're bothering me and irritating my life. So we all do that. So the goal here, the point of this morning is not for you to all, to all of us to feel corporately bad about how at best we're doing average and being overflowing, loving people toward other people. The goal here this morning is to understand that God is not... And will not ever quit on you, because I know there 's people here this morning that there 's issues in your life, whether it 's uh, how you love others externally, maybe it 's habits and or addictions which habits and addictions flow out of you because you 're not full of love from God toward others. Habits and addictions would have no place if you have a fullness of the love of God for you and toward others. So again, I'm not, it's not saying, okay, so I feel bad about myself. I'm not, good, I'm not doing well and loving. The point, though, is that Paul's making the point that there's, there's an incredible confidence we have that God will finish that. He will finish. He will not quit on you. You can be the kind of friend you've always thought you could be. You can be the kind of husband you could always thought you could be. You could be an incredibly loving person to the person who is your enemy because that's what Jesus taught us when he forgave those who hurt him or Stephen when he was being stoned to death. And I want to, I'll finish with a, a story that probably I, I at least repeat it once a year. And this, Jason, i want to go back to the passage that had uh, verse six, he who began a good work in you, or however it's phrased in this one, I'm certain that God who began a good work in you This, if somebody were to ask me, which I don't think you have to have one of these, somebody were to ask me, what's your life verse? And again, there's no requirement to have a life verse. Um, This would what I'd say mine would be, and there's a reason why. Um, 25 years ago, I was a graduate student in seminary, studying to be a pastor. uh, Studying to be not just a pastor, but hoping that my life was complete and finished enough that I would be a good pastor, that I could do ministry well. And I've shared this before, but during that time in my life, I had an addiction to pornography. So you can see that here I'm thinking I want to be a pastor, but I knew painfully and desperately that I was not complete. I was far from complete. I thought God had taken me off of his project list because I was so frustrated because if if it's like you with issues you deal with, I did the I tried harder method. Tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, and I was the point where my, uh, discourage, my discouragement was like this deep, and I just thought hopeless. And so there was one particular Friday night, Friday night, February tenth, nineteen eighty nine. I probably had dropped the lowest I had dropped in terms of my discouragement level. Like I thought, I, why am I even? Keep in mind, I was in seminary. Why am I even here? Because, and I remember thinking that Satan must be laughing at me and that God must have abandoned me because I've prayed about this. I tried. Can't seem to get past this. And that next morning, Saturday morning, February 11th, 1989, this note was in my mailbox at the seminary student mailbox. And I wasn't married then. I was a single student. And, uh, this, I remember going to that mailbox, pulling this note. And it was an unsigned note, so I still don't know who it's from. Um, and they mention a couple things, and they say this, and they want to say thanks for, uh, I, I was teaching a class at the time in an undergraduate school, so it was a student in that class, but I still don't know who it was because they, they called me Professor Nussbaum, so you can call me that too, but you don't have to. Um, But they just, they commented and they said, I don't really know why I'm writing this note, but I think I'm supposed to say some things to you. And they made made some initial comments and they said, however, I know that desiring to serve Christ takes much energy and that Satan. That Satan must not want you to be so zealous. please be encouraged by the fact that Christ is working in your life and it's noticeable. Sometimes your biggest frustration is you don't notice Christ working in your life. You don't think he is. And when somebody says that to you, it means the world because you've kind of, you become blind to your own soul because you're so discouraged. But this person said, "I'm I'm noticing something. And then they say this, I don't, I don't, I don't really know why i was to write this note perhaps to encourage you to remain steadfast and to be obedient however here's the scripture for you that you may know that your labor is not in vain and they quoted the scriptures on the screen it's in a different version but they say this be confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus And I remember like I am now, kind of being being a baffling baby in the mailroom. And it wasn't simply that I was encouraged, but I thought there's no way that somebody's ever going to tell me this was random. The timing was not random. Because God knew a few days before this to prompt somebody to tell me something that he wanted me to know, and that is he is not going to quit on me. And he wasn't going to quit on me. And the very desire I had, which all of us have, is to be complete, full of the love and life that come from God. This is what Paul talks about other places he talks about here. That's his prayer for us. That's what God's desire for us. That's the desire of our heart. But we often hit these roadblocks where we think it's not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. And then we go into self-condemnation, self-condemnation, self-condemnation. And what Paul is saying to the Philippians, what, what Paul is saying to us, what, this, what Paul said to me through this person 25 years ago that he's saying to all of us is, God's not going to quit on you. Whatever issue you're butting your head against, he will not quit on you. He will not. He's not. He will finish what he started in you, and you will be the person that God designed you to be. Have confidence in that. Um, because what we need, we were praying this morning, some of us, we prayed before the service, and somebody mentioned the word hope. What we need, like a neon sign across our brains, our hearts, and our souls, wherever those parts of us are, is the word hope. And hope, not like I wish, I wish God would do something, but hope is this confidence that God, like, like when Paul says, I'm confident of this, I'm certain of this, that God will finish, finish, finish what he started in you. And you may feel like you're going backwards, you know, five steps forward, ten steps back, that kind of life. But God's promise is he will finish what he started in you. He didn't kick you out on your own. He's not going to abandon you. He promises to finish what he started. So whatever your issue is, whatever you're butting your head against, uh, whatever thing that you think has a hold of you that you can't seem to defeat, whether it's internal discouragement or whether it's the way you deal with people, and you just kind of wish, "Ah, here we go again. It's the same issue I've had with other people, and I don't know why I can't get over this. God's not going to stop with you. He will finish what he started with you. You will become the abnormally loving, joyful, courageous person that you know God made you to be. That's the promise. Not from me, but from God. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for people, and even perhaps there are some here that may feel prompted to r- encourage someone else in some kind of way this week, and first of all, would you give us the courage to respond to your promptings in that way, and I thank you that you did with this person 25 years ago, and, um, but God, I also know that there are people here today that feel and understand the feelings of discouragement and defeat and stuck and incomplete and maybe stalled in the incomplete zone like I'm never going to be complete. This may be as good as it gets. God, by your Holy Spirit, would you infuse hope into each one of our hearts? Would you infuse hope into our marriages that we feel like may be stuck in some ways? Would you, feel ho- would you infuse hope in our relationships, our work relationships? Would you infuse hope into the deepest parts of our souls where our habits and addictions and hidden secrets spin around. And would you help us know that you are in there doing work, and we can trust that. And we can be confident of that promise. So God, would you give hope as you change us into becoming the kind of men and women that we've all dreamed we could be? of life and love that come from you and we ask this all in the name of uh, christ amen hey we'll finish uh jason i had a slide up there that uh from uh the gospel of john yeah i thought it was just kind of a good way to go into communion this is when jesus was on the cross um and he says you know this is he knew that his mission was now what's the word finished jesus knew his mission was finished completed so he's been tortured he's on the cross to fulfill scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar of sour, sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and he put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, out loud with me, everybody, it is finished. It's completed. What God started in you is already completed because of what Jesus did. We don't always understand that people always say, well, it's not, it's not yet, but it's now, and all Whatever it means, we know that Jesus knew that what needed to happen for you to become those kind of people, he had already He had just finished it. And then he bowed his head and he released the spirit. So we take communion every week. And uh, when Jesus, the night he was betrayed, right before this, said he took the bread and the cup and he said, This is my body, this is my blood offered for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. And what we remember is all kinds of promises he made. But one of the promises that he made that he made hours after he actually offered this to us, he says, the promise is it's finished. The very struggle you have, God will.